we're providing more possibilities, more options for how people can be in this world. If we're only giving two scripts to choose from, it's not enough for how diverse humans are. To these parents, I say, your kid is who they say they are. Hey there, Camp Fam. We're back. Y'all, we have been busy. We got your emails, your DMs, and your Facebook posts. We have heard your requests, and this season we worked hard to address specific questions and requests from you. It all starts today with a little bit of a deeper dive into the Gender 101 conversation that focuses on dysphoria, what it is, and what to do about it. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham. Before we get too far into this, did you know that Camp Wildheart has a private Facebook group? It's true. I usually talk about it at the end of the episode, but I know not everyone makes it all the way to the end of every episode. So if you're interested in connecting with other Camp Wildheart listeners, head on over to the great evil that is Facebook and search for Camp Wildheart Community and click join. There'll be a couple of screening questions and then you're in. We also have an Instagram at wild.heart.society, and you can also reach out via email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Okay, now that that's settled, back to the topic at hand, dysphoria. This is a word that gets thrown around a lot in the trans community. It is the word that most people use to describe their need for transition. It is an intense discomfort, distress, or unease that typically has to do with one of three aspects of gender identity. It can show up as physical, social, and or mental. Dysphoria is not a qualifier for being trans, and there are plenty of people who don't even experience it. But since it is very common, we thought it would be worth telling you about how and when it shows up, what it might feel like, and how you can support your kid through it. There's lots of juicy details in this one, so make sure you check out the show notes for all of the links and all of the resources that are available to you. To help me with this conversation is my good friend and colleague, Karen Copulus. Karen is a fellow therapist at Wild Heart Society. They are white and use they, them pronouns. Similar to myself, Karen's work focuses primarily on trans and queer youth and their families. Karen's been doing this work in various forms for more than a decade. They hail from the great state of Ohio. Upon graduating from college, they relocated to Portland, land of the lesbians, and have since found love, happiness, and a community of support. Karen has a great work ethic, but they also have a great rest ethic. When they aren't working, they're spending time with their partner, playing with their dog Ollie, or immersing themselves in nature. If you're a listener, you'll have heard me or other parents raving about Karen and their ability to meet kids and parents right where they're at without judgment and gently moving them forward. I've been wanting to have an episode with them for a while, and I was finally able to pin them down. I hope you find it helpful in understanding what your kids are facing. Dysphoria, as we know, I think there's a couple things I want people to know about it. A lot of things, actually, right? The different types of dysphoria, and also that dysphoria is not required in order to be a trans person. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that happens a lot is people are like, well, but you don't have any dysphoria. Well, it's, it's about identity. Mm-hmm. And we don't need dysphoria in order to have an identity. Mm-hmm. People without dysphoria may choose different transition paths mm-hmm. than people with dysphoria, but everybody's path is different anyway. And so. And our level of dysphoria will change throughout our lives. Yeah. 
based on a lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with what are the types of dysphoria that exist? Physical, social, mental. Mm-hmm. And there are different locations that can trigger or create dysphoria, like bathrooms. So mm-hmm. It can be called bathroom dysphoria. Gyms. Mm-hmm. So bathroom dysphoria or, or like gym dysphoria or whatever would be a, I'm okay except for in this environment. Mm-hmm. It's a good the, way to describe it. And then when I go into this space or in this environment, I'm acutely aware mm-hmm. of my, it could be a physical thing. It could be a social thing. It could be a mental thing. Like it could be all three, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of like I go to this place and everything gets turned up. Mm-hmm. And we have to be aware of it because we're treated differently because of how people assume or, or our gender or how they read us. And so we, we have dysphoria going into restrooms because people react to us and sometimes scream or tell you you're in the wrong bathroom or ask you why you're there. Um, so there's a reason we have distress going into restrooms. Right. It's not all like you're making it up in your head. <laughs> it's not that we feel really self-conscious about our bodies only. Yeah, we do. But there's something in addition to that. And that's that we're in danger, sometimes physically, uh, emotionally, that we will be mistreated um, and that we will be judged, that we will be made to feel like we don't belong mm-hmm. so let's let's go into like what dysphoria is and isn't because mm-hmm. i think a lot of people get confused about dysphoria and dysmorphia mm-hmm. so dysmorphia body dysmorphia is a condition in which people have a very warped um sizable understanding of their body right so they might see themselves and see their body as huge. Like I know somebody who at one point was watching like my 600 pound life or whatever. And they were like, that's what I look like. And I'm like, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's body dysmorphia, Mm -hmm. right? When they see their body as giant, when it's actually much, much smaller or um, that happens with certain body parts sometimes too, but like it's usually about size with dysmorphia. Dysphoria is different. And dysphoria shows up in different ways for different people. But let's start with physical dysphoria. How do you explain physical dysphoria to parents? I'm so grateful to be able to try my best to put this into words. um, Because it's a question that I get often from parents. And that is, how does it feel? Because we couldn't imagine what that feels like. Mm -hmm. Please tell us. And I say... It's really hard to describe it to somebody who doesn't feel it, of course, which is the, the frustration. Yet, I think we've all felt it to some degree when we are burned for crossing over the gender expectations of which we've been assigned since birth. So what it feels like is a discomfort, the feeling of not being comfortable in your own skin, which a lot of us can relate to, but it's a very specific type of discomfort. It is being in a body that that doesn't represent what you look like in your mind's eye when you close your eyes. It's having a body part that's incorrect. It's putting on a bathing suit and looking like a girl when when you close your eyes, you are a boy. Right. 
And so I wonder if it's a stretch to have cisgender people imagine, like a cisgender man, for example, imagine what it would be like to wake up without a penis, to wake up with a vagina, Mm -hmm. to have to walk around every day with a dress on and you're not allowed to change. I actually use that example a lot when I'm trying to help parents understand like, okay, because there's a lot of like, I don't get it. Like, Mm -hmm. why does gender even matter? Mm -hmm. Right. And they're trying to be affirming and supportive, but like, Gender does matter because people, we really do pe- treat people differently based on gender mm-hmm. um, and like our expressions and what's allowed and socially acceptable is, it's very dependent on gender and gender interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so I do say to parents often, I'm like, okay, well, let's imagine like you want to experience dysphoria. I've got a dress you can put on. We can go outside and go shopping if you'd like. Right. And they're like, whoa, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I know. Mm-hmm. And see how drif- differently you're treated in that dress. And if gender matters in those moments, yeah, if it's important. And I think, too, we all have preferences. Like, we all have a desire to wear that dress or not wear that dress. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, actually, another interesting cisgender example of this. Um, So, like, I I will have to look it up. Like, the 80s, I think, was when Tootsie came out. Um, And Dustin Hoffman played this character that was a woman and he said that it was the most unreal experience Mm. to go around in costume and to realize how differently people treated him Mm -hmm. when he was Tootsie versus when he was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Um, And that's part of the reality of it, right? Mm -hmm. Now we've come a long way since then, Mm -hmm. but also not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. Um, so let's talk for a second about physical dysphoria mm, right. um, and where it shows up typically for AFAB and AMAB individuals. So we'll start with, I think, AFAB individuals. Okay. And then we can talk about AMAB individuals. So AFAB, again, for listeners, is assigned female at birth. So this is someone who... Um, it's either trans male or non-binary um, or agender or um, mm-hmm. just not female identified. Mm-hmm. So body parts that are common dysphoria triggers. Yeah. Um, for young kids, it's often about hair. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, because they want to have the shorter haircut. Mm. Um, or... You, you might get dress refusal, but that's pretty, I have heard cases of like kids being, young kids having like trauma around their genitals, but it's pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. It's more likely that they are going to ex- be concerned about their gender expression. Mm-hmm. And then once we get into puberty and bodies start changing and your and the boy bodies and the girl bodies start looking different, that's usually when we see that body dysphoria really turn up. Mm-hmm. So AFAB people, mm-hmm. jawline, I'm going to go, I'm going top oh, to bottom, okay. <laughs> Here top we go. to bottom. Okay. So we have hair, uh-huh. um, brow line, facial um, hair, facial hair, uh, chin, mm-hmm. um, and jawline, um, neck size, neck size, Adam's apple. Oof. Um, 
shoulder broadness, mm-hmm. uh, collarbones, muscle definition, muscle definition, um, breasts, number one, overwhelmingly number one. Mm-hmm. And we will get into like, well, let's just, let's just put a pin in that <laughs> one yeah. because we're going to come back to it. Um, Sometimes hand size um, and, like, the daintiness of their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, nails. Yeah. Nails, certainly one. And then continuing down the body, the curve of the waist, mm-hmm. um, the curve of the hip, the curve of the butt. Yeah. Curves are bad. Mm-hmm. And then genitals, um, leg shape. Curves are bad. Curves are hard. Curves are labeled in our society as feminine. Yeah. Periods. A lot of kids will refer to that as shark week. Um, It's a really great thing to be able to use different names for different body parts Mm. um, or to use different names for different things. Like, so instead of us calling it like, oh, you got your period. Like, oh, it's shark week. Cool. Yeah. Um, They aren't your breasts. It's your chest. It's your chest. Right. Um, I have some kids who refer to their breasts as chesticles um, <laughs> yeah. or these tumors um i have to get my tumors removed mm-hmm. um yeah okay but we'll come back to that uh and then continuing down the body um hips hips thighs um height i didn't even mention height it's mm-hmm. a big one um and then foot size mm-hmm. i know a lot of afab kids who wear shoes that are like three sizes too big for them Yeah, simply to not, they feel like their feet are a giveaway. Mm-hmm. And there was a while in my life where I was like, dude, nobody's looking at your feet, but I have, that is definitely not true. And it all adds up to every little thing, right? Like, ding, oh, mm-hmm. here, this little piece here, this little piece here, this little piece here, this little yeah. piece there. Are you mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. And I, I wish that I could say like people aren't thinking about that, but they are. And for a large part, because they want to know one, how, how to treat you because we do treat people differently. Yeah. And our brains like boxes uh, with answers of how to treat people. And so we're automatically categorizing, Mm -hmm. which is why, um, somebody who's really androgynous, um, <laughs> often faces a lot more heat than like a trans man, mm-hmm. um, or a trans woman, um, that's, that are cis passing. Yeah. Right. Um, the androgyny like drives some people nuts. Yeah. And we see the kids ask the question that their brain is thinking out loud. And that's, are you a boy or a girl? Because I need to know before I can move forward mm-hmm. in this interaction with you. Uh, and once they know, it's not a big deal. It's okay. Right. Um, and then you tell a kid you're non-binary and, or you're, you go by they, them pronouns and they get that too. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. You're both. Cool. Move Got on. it. Oh, you're neither. Okay. I think parents really have a lot of anxiety around how do we explain this to kids. It really, they don't have a huge framework to overcome the way that adults do. Kids are so much quicker to adapt when we just like normalize it and say, oh yeah, that's this. Oh, great. Cool. Moving on. Another thing they learned that day among the hundreds of other things they're going to learn that day. Yeah. We don't need to make it scary Mm -hmm. for us to talk about with them. Yeah. Okay. So 
AFAB dysphoria. So let's talk for a second about um, boobs. Mm-hmm. So we've come up with some different names. Yeah. Chest, chesticles, um, pecs. I'm trying to decide if I want to go, do I want to go straight into like, what do we do about it? Let's talk more about how it feels, what the physical dysphoria is like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to turn to you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a unique perspective where I've had top surgery so I can talk about the dysphoria and how it's changed. And that before top surgery, your chest is your number one giveaway of how people treat you who are mm-hmm. strangers. They can you can see it through even through sweatshirts. And kids try and hide it under these big baggy sweatshirts and like mm-hmm. under a grandpa flannel and you get kids who are wearing like five layers of clothing and it's ninety eight <laughs> degrees outside and you're like, dude, aren't you hot? And mm-hmm. they're like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've got teenagers, fifteen year olds who say it's gross that somebody's looking at my chest to decide how to treat me. I don't want people looking at my chest all the time in that way. And so it's true. It is kind of an odd thing that we do as a society. And then to compensate for that or to hide our chest, some people, myself included, would hunch over. Yeah. We'll hunch over. To I call it the trans it. boy slouch. Yep. That's totally it. Uh-huh. And we know that that is not good for our musculature and our posture, but it's also it's a so way painful. It's painful, and it also is a reaction that anxiety has too. We hunch our shoulders when mm-hmm. we're anxious, so we've got a double whammy there. Yeah. Um, and I had back pain since high school, um, and partially it was exacerbated by wearing bras because it cuts right through that hot spot in your shoulder. Yeah. And um, and let's just acknowledge it's uncomfortable. I mean, they're heavy. To, to some degree. Yeah. Um, Pounds. So then once I got top surgery um, in my early 20s, I was able to st- stand up straight for the first time in my life. And almost immediately, my back pain went away. Yeah. My anxiety lowered. Yeah. I could stand up tall. Like my your brain and your neurobiology remembers postures and it remembers confidence when you're standing tall. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, the people in my life immediately recognized it, which is one of the things I was most excited for. So there's a a depiction of how strong the discomfort is of dysphoria to hide your body from anyone who sees you throughout the day and how we compensate for that amount of discomfort. We would actually rather endure physical pain than social discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And binders are not comfortable. No, they hurt. It's something, it's like spanks um, for your chest and it's much more. But like intense, more intense. Yeah. Yeah. Stiff. Because some parents are like, well, can't they just wear a sports bra? I'm like, a sports bra is like creates a uniboop, whereas Mm -hmm. a binder is actually going to help flatten and like the mm. way that you can like position your the breasts in a binder um and sort of tuck them in certain ways will help create more of a masculine looking chest mm-hmm. which you cannot do in a sports bra yeah it's very different um the way a t-shirt would look yeah which is a big deal yeah again that's how we gender people okay so for binders i will just say that for binder safety there's going to be a lot of notes in the podcast notes section about binder safety and like how you can bind appropriately because I know a lot of parents who are afraid to let their kids use a binder. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I just want to encourage them to consider what you just talked about, about how if I let them use a, if I don't let them use a binder, like they're going to slouch over, be in this Mm. position of like anxiety, be in this loose confidence, lack of confidence. They're going to be constantly, um, trying to hide Mm -hmm. in their clothing and it will hurt them both physically and emotionally. Right. And socially. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so using a binder can be really, really helpful. It's a really great tool. Um, it's not a be all end all mm-hmm. by any means. You can't wear them 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and people grow and they cost money and they wear out. They the elasticity wears yeah. out. Yeah. And just like other undergarments we yeah. wear all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they make swim binders as well as non swim binders. Um, so there's, options there. Mm -hmm. So I talked about shoes, um, clothing in general, like allowing a young person to wear clothing that they feel best fits them or suits them, I think is really important. Mm. Um, and helping them sort of express gender in the least dysphoric way. Mm -hmm. Um, really leaving it open-ended for them, what part of the store they want to shop in that day mm -hmm. and trying as best as possible to have no reaction to that. Yeah. Um, also it's possible to have chest dysphoria and like your nails painted, mm. um, or to like makeup, eyeliner, mm-hmm. skirts, yeah. dresses. That's a tough one. Sometimes, it's sometimes really difficult for people to wrap their head around like, yeah, but those are also giveaways. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of boys, trans boys will like when I ask them, like what, when you think about yourself in the future, how do you picture yourself? Mm. Right. And they're like, I'm a dude that likes feminine things. Yeah. As opposed to a girl. And how different is that? Right. (laughs) It's so different. Yeah. I have had many kids who have said, I cannot wait for top surgery so that I can start wearing dresses again. Yeah. It's so or I can start wearing makeup again, or I can start mm-hmm. painting my nails because as soon as they get validated, right. As soon as they feel like, okay, the world is going to see me this way yeah. as a boy or as a male or as masculine, mm-hmm. then I can start to play with it again. Right. right? I can have the freedom then to start mm-hmm. really expressing myself as my true self. Yeah. Which they can't do. So a lot of parents are like, why well, they just seem like they're so like depressed and shut down. And that's, a lot to do with dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And when we allow kids to transition, uh, we are giving them permission to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that depression that we see just like evaporates. It's wild. Yeah. Coming from just a lack of options and freedom to Mm -hmm. be who they are, Mm -hmm. to be creative with their own identity. And I think, too, I, I have parents who say, so then what? Are they flu- gender fluid if they <laughs> describe themselves as masculine, but also liking dresses? Or are they confused again? And it it's not that. It's playing with gender in a way that makes you feel good. And you know, your gender identity and gender expression are different. Mm-hmm. Your identity can remain constant while your expression fluctuates. And so I, to these parents, I say, your kid is who they say they are. Mm-hmm. And eyeliner doesn't change that. No. <laughs> I mean, there are so many, like, cis dudes that wear eyeliner. 
mm-hmm. right? Some of like the coolest, literally the coolest people to have ever lived mm-hmm. would have worn eyeliner. Mm-hmm. David Bowie. Yeah. Prince. Mm-hmm. Most rock stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just super common. Uh, I just want to give parents permission to mm-hmm. let go of all the stereotypes there. Yeah. Other pieces of social dysphoria that we haven't touched on. The more formal we are, the more gendered we are as a society. Mm-hmm. As we turn up the volume on formality, then like we start using misses and misters and we start like like what thing about formal wear what Mm -hmm. is formal wear for men formal wear for women what's formal wear for non-binary people (laughs) nobody knows it's whatever they want it to be right they're distinct Um, and different mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but just to start looking and when you start looking you see it everywhere Mm -hmm. it's everywhere the way that we treat people and gender Mm -hmm. is everywhere so when you say like why can't you just be yourself that is what they're trying to do. Yeah. And why does gender matter? Because our society is so gendered. We have to participate in it. They would, I, I would love to opt out, mm-hmm. but you and can't. Yeah. So you just can't. We're, we're providing more possibilities, more options for how people can be in this world. If we're only giving two scripts to choose from, mm-hmm. um, it's not enough for how diverse humans are. Yeah. Let's go now AMAB individuals. Mm -hmm. And again, starting from a young age, it's primarily hair, but also more about the clothes and gender Mm. expression usually comes in um, for AMAB kiddos who are not identifying as male. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's socially acceptable to wear jeans and t-shirts as a little girl or a little boy but it's mm-hmm. not socially acceptable to wear dresses right um or have pigtails or braids or mm-hmm. um which is sourced in misogyny absolutely mm-hmm. that starts a little bit earlier mm-hmm. um i will also say that the mental dysphoria seems to be uh, more intense for mm. a mab individuals who just for in general. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but like as you as they start to approach puberty, we often see like an a ratcheting of uh anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And especially if they've had um if your trans kiddo has an older sibling that's already gone through puberty or is going through puberty, like that can be very scary for them. Yeah. Such a good point. I know little kiddos who've had a ton of dysphoria around the idea that they aren't gonna be able to have babies. Mm. The way that other women are going to be able to have babies mm-hmm. and how like there's a grieving process that happens even at like eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Mm-hmm. As we approach puberty, mm-hmm. we've heard me in other interviews talk about how we tend to move faster um, with medical interventions or the need feels more urgent for medical interventions for AMAB kids. And that is largely because society is so mean and hurtful and Mm. cruel to trans women who don't pass a cis. Oh yeah. And so once a trans 
girl starts to hit puberty, blockers and pubertal suppression medication are like so important because those things that happen in early puberty for cisgender males are very noticeable. Yeah. And not reversible. Right. right. Like, so we'll start to see the, like the broadening of the shoulders. We'll start to see the, def- the definition in the jawline or we'll hear the, we'll hear voice. the deepening voice, um, or facial hair, mm-hmm. um, which you can get electrolysis for, but like it hurts and it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of anxiety that happens when we start to enter puberty if we can't hit pause. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is essentially what puberty suppression is it's a pause button then when they hit the right age then you work with an endocrinologist to like time their puberty to match their cisgender Mm -hmm. peers that's the whole point right for teenage girls you're pressing pause on the characteristics of puberty that happen that will make them be hunted they're they already are hunted it will make them giving them a target on their backs especially trans women of color yeah right like they're of above and beyond hunted mm-hmm. very scary mm-hmm. and sad mm-hmm. um and hurtful and creates a ripple effect for the entire trans community right which is part mm-hmm. of the mental dysphoria um and the social dysphoria right like they are walking through the world and do not know who is safe and who is not safe mm-hmm. at pretty much any other time I have clients who are like, I don't want to have to be this brave. I hate when people call me brave. I don't want to be brave. Mm-hmm. I just want to be. Yeah. And they don't get a choice. Yeah. And I know other trans people are like, sorry, being trans means that you're called to be braver, which sucks. And I think that's part of the mental anguish, right? Mm-hmm. The mental dysphoria that we ex- they experience, we experience. Yeah. Social dysphoria, again, the way that people treat you, right? So if, you are being treated like a dude or a bro or a boy mm-hmm. and you are a trans girl and you're being treated that way even though your gender expression mm-hmm. matches your identity but your physical features do not oh height is another one too mm-hmm. right like yeah um amab individuals will hit a growth spurt mm-hmm. um and that Adam's apple forms. Yeah. Um, so those are all quote unquote giveaways. And you're at this age where you're in class together. And so you're staring at each other for hours. Just think of every little feature can be seen. Yeah. And that concept of self-objectification, self, self-objectification that we talked with Lindsay and Lexi Kite about a while back it becomes so intense and body dysphoria and social dysphoria and mental dysphoria also often lead us to a place where we are looking at disordered eating mm-hmm. um, because kids will try to control what's happening with their body by controlling what they put into their body mm-hmm. um, to keep curves from forming yeah, or to keep from growing big and strong and there's just a a really high risk there mm-hmm. um, for disordered eating. Coupled when, with the anxiety, mm-hmm. possibly taking your appetite away. Mm-hmm. It's bad. 
Yeah, and also coupled with neurodivergence, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a huge portion of the trans community that is also neurodivergent and neurodivergence gives us funky sensory problems mm-hmm. um, or sensory perceptions. And one of those things is interception. And interception is your internal system and how your internal system, you feel it or you don't feel it. And a lot of neurodiverse people will say like, I don't feel hungry until I am so hungry mm. That like, if I don't eat now, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> um, but they just don't get there, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't feel that little hunger cue. Uh, and they, there's other parts of that too with interception that are um, sort of turned down. But that is uh, a big one. And that's common in folks with ADHD as well as folks who are autistic. Mm-hmm. I think with maybe going back to the physical a little bit is to... Describe the feeling of gender euphoria and what it's like to put on your first t-shirt after top surgery Mm -hmm. and to see yourself in the mirror for the first time, the way you've looked when you close your eyes Mm -hmm. is, um, fucking phenomenal. (laughs) It's like the sun comes out, which it just did actually. The sun comes out from the clouds and... You're, you might be tingly. Um, it's just the coolest thing. It's the co- and you feel like a cool person. <laughs> like you feel amazing. Yeah. It feels so good. Um, like I was talking with uh, someone else who will later on in this season, um, the interview will be, but we were talking about hair. And I remember like, the first experience of like my hair just got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. And shorter right. Um, and I remember very clearly being there in the chair. She wasn't even done with it. And like, she just like combed it back and she was like still working on it. And I was like, Oh my God, there I am. Yeah. Right. And that's what it is. It's, it's there. I am. Mm-hmm. It feels so good. There I am. You're feeling yourself. We all deserve to feel ourselves in that way. Like, damn, I look good. Right? There's that Lizzo song. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feeling good as hell. Everybody, Uh I think everybody knows that feeling, Mm. but cisgender people wouldn't necessarily label it as gender or as gender euphoria. Right. Right? But boy, does it feel amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Bottle it up. Wearing shorts around the house. Mm. Just shorts, no top. Wearing shorts to go swimming. Mm Mm-hmm. Just go and pitter-patter on your chest with your hands the way that guys can. Hugs. Oh, hugs are so different. Hugs are so different. Even even just the, like, the intimacy with my partner that I noticed of being that much closer mm-hmm. to each other's chests. Of, um, it's really something. It's quite a change. Um, best decision of my whole life. Yeah. I haven't regretted it for a single second. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. So I had um, top surgery also, but I had a very different kind than you did mm-hmm. um, because I had top surgery that was that still left something behind. That's what my doctor said. Oh, you want something left behind? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I still express myself very femininely sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm going to fall somewhere on the binary – Outside of the center, I usually fall more feminine than I do masculine, but I'm, I'm pretty centered. Mm. Um, and I wanted something left behind so that I could play with it, like play with gender, mm-hmm. um, play with my expression. But oh, 
so great. Like, I don't have to wear bras anymore. <laughs> I like don't have problems with sh- button down shirts anymore. Yes. Like that wasn't even an option for me. Uh, I couldn't wear a button down shirt because mm-hmm. my boobs were way too big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like I had wanted it since I was like 16. Like as soon as my doctor said, you know, at some point you're going to be able to have tops or you're going to be able to have a breast reduction. And I was like, really? How soon can we do that? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember going to a consult before normalization of top surgery for um, non-binary individuals was a thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to a consult with a surgeon and she, and I told her what I wanted and she said, oh no, you don't want that. You'll be too masculine. Hmm. Um, And I was like, no, that's definitely what I want. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, no, I'm not going to do that to you. And I was like, cool. And I think that's the experience a lot of people have had over the years, right? Like being very clear about what they want from a doctor and being told that they, that's not actually what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't until like, like six or seven years later that mm-hmm. I was able to have it done the way that I wanted it to. Right. And went to a surgeon who was like, this is what I do. And she was like, I need you to find a picture of what you want. And so I went and found the before pictures from like, for people who had get boob jobs mm, yeah, you know they're yeah. like this is the before and after and i was like the before that's what i want give me that Perfect. right there that's what i want yeah. she was like oh yeah we can do that that's fine and i was like sweet there are so many options for what they can do with your top surgery look the places they can place your nipples whether or not you want nipples mm-hmm. um, ways they can shape the scars sometimes even to look like your pec line yeah and it's it's good to know that those are your options going into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also good to know that like taking care of your chest tissue is really important going into it. So like if you, if you've got a kid that you think is going to want to have top surgery and they're spending an extremely long period of time in a binder every day, I would encourage you to like chat with them about like tissue damage because the more healthy their tissue is when they get to surgery the more the surgeon is going to be able to make them give them what they want Mm -hmm. um and it's like it sucks because like they're wearing the binder for a reason all the time and so having to help them try and figure out ways to cope and balance Mm -hmm. um is really important yeah and not just being like you can't wear that um right it's so hard yeah it's so hard but recognizing like it feels like a lose-lose, mm-hmm. um, especially when top surgery feels so far away. Right. And that's the thing that I talk to parents about is when to start testosterone, if that is a part of this kid's journey. What you're doing is delaying top surgery eventually, because if you do take testosterone, you want to wait about a year to mm-hmm. get surgery so that you can have the best results possible when the surgeon crafts or shapes the the chest tissue Mm -hmm. so it's important to think about because it is miserable to have to wait to have that surgery and to have to wear binders every day yeah okay so that's top surgery stuff we haven't really even talked about like bottom dysphoria Mm -hmm. um so let's just take a second Mm -hmm. um bottom dysphoria is not uncommon by any means but uh, not every trans person has it. 
Right. Um, I want to make that clear. Um, and so a lot of people are like done with transition after they've had top surgery. Mm-hmm. Also, the science is still evolving. The medical stuff is still evolving around bottom surgery stuff. And so I know a lot of people are like just waiting. Mm-hmm. I'll let that let that grow a little bit over there before I sign mm-hmm. up for that. But there are several different procedures that people can have um, depending on what they want and what they feel like they need um, in order to be themselves on the outside. From like full vaginoplasty or phalloplasty, um, that's where they would create like for vaginoplasty, like they will create a vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, and for phalloplasty, they'll create a penis mm-hmm. um, using other parts of your body. But there are other procedures as well, right? Like you can have procedures where your body looks very gender neutral yeah. um, or uh, certain things are more exposed or uh, more hidden away. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of different options when it comes to bottom surgery. Important to note that right now the wait for those is about like two or three years sometimes yeah. because there aren't a lot of surgeons that will do it. Yeah. But let's talk for a second about like, because so many kids don't want bottom surgery, even mm-hmm. if they experience bottom dysphoria. Yeah. Um, let's talk about all the many different things that we can, the gear that has mm-hmm. evolved over time that helps yes. with bottom dysphoria. So for AFAB individuals, yeah. um, so these are our trans boys and our non-binary folks who don't identify as female. Um Packers. Mm-hmm. It's always my favorite conversation with parents. They're like, uh, I'm, uh, so let's talk about penises. And they're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, so your child would like a prosthetic penis. What? Where do um, I get that? How does that work? I don't, yeah. it's so uncomfortable. Um, uh, and then one parent who was like, the package came and they're like, hey, your dick's here. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid was like, that's not helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Um, please don't do that. Uh, but there are several different types of prosthetic, um, penis and they come in different sizes and different colors. Um, Mm -hmm. some look very realistic, some don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes kids will get them and find that they're uncomfortable because they don't sit in the right place Mm -hmm. and they need constant adjustment and they end up being more trouble than they feel like they're worth. But sometimes they get them and they're like, this feels amazing. Yeah. It's worth a try. Yeah. And if a kid gets one and then decides not to use it, that is not a, an indication that, like, they're not mm, trans or, like, that was a mistake or whatever. Um, just that there's a lot of different reasons why a kid might decide, I don't want to wear this. Yeah. Going to the bathroom, mm-hmm. stand a pee using a stand a pee device or sometimes called a shiwi. Mm-hmm. An STP, um, which is, can look like a prosthetic penis. And mm-hmm. also maybe doesn't. Um, but the idea of having a stand pee and why it's really important, actually, if you're going to pee in public restrooms, um, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're standing, if you want to go to and use a urinal, I think the protocol is that you're not supposed to glance over and look at the other guy's <laughs> dick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes it still happens. Yeah. Um, and so that could be a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Um depending on uh, the person standing next to you that's like, right. wait, what, what the mm-hmm. fuck? Um, 
or what the heck? <laughs> heck. It's a family show. Um, but then also, um, you can buy a kind of prosthetic that, uh, or a packer that is a, a two in one, right? So you can be just a packer. It can be a packer and a stand a pee. Mm. Um, it can also be something that's used for sex. Yeah. That's right. Um, so there's all different kinds of options and they range in price and quality. Yes. Um, but typically stand peas, the good ones are expensivo. We talked about clothes a little bit, but really, uh, undergarments can be really gender affirming. Yeah. Boxer briefs or panties. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can change the way you feel about yourself. And for AMAV individuals, there's, um, tucking and, uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot of, uh, girls that tape, yeah. which I highly encourage them not to do. Um, but I also understand like the dysphoria is so intense that, that like, mm-hmm. that's what feels the best. But mm-hmm. if you tape during the day, it's hard to use the bathroom and then you're like restricting how much you drink in order to avoid having to use exactly. the bathroom. Yeah. And not to mention like just what it would feel like to have to like put tape on your genitals mm-hmm. and to remove it from your genitals mm-hmm. regularly. And as a reminder, that's how important this is yeah. to get rid of the gender dysphoria. Yeah. That's how um, intense it feels like intense this. Feels. I've heard kids using duct tape, mm. right? And like, I'm like, that is not good. You should not do that. Um, it doesn't breathe for one thing. <laughs> um, also though, like just get, imagine like putting duct tape on your genitals multiple times a day. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. but that is a better option for them. Right. Than not. Mm-hmm. But there are also products like, um, gaffs, which is, uh, like a panty that has a pocket to help tuck. Yes. Um, which can be really, really helpful. Some are that not all gaffes are created equal folks. Mm. Um, and I will tell you that finding gaffes and products that are made by trans people for trans people, really your best bet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so do your research there and trying to figure out Great like point. who designed and made this. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah. There's also specific, um, swimwear for trans girls that you can get a dad and a kiddo um design some uh so that's pretty freaking rad Mm -hmm. um also like there are certain companies like athleta i think sells like a a swim garment that's got like a short with a skirt over the top of it Mm. but the swim skirt is really really great for trans girls um it can be a really good option and i know this isn't bottom uh related but i want to go back and mention buying inserts for trans girls um or people who have no chest mm-hmm. um what are those called falsies yeah often can be bought at the same place as all of these other items we're talking about and amazon not that i'm <laughs> encouraging you to, to shop there or your local sex shop your, yes female owned and operated that's right yeah but the falsies and having a bra really helps mm-hmm. like you want to see something cool give your trans daughter a bra and some Aww. and some fake boobs and just watch her like walk through the room yeah she's gonna look like a totally different person mm-hmm. like in the best way like because mm-hmm. she'll be confident and happy mm-hmm. and it'll be so beautiful 
it's things that seem so little that make the all the difference. Yeah. That, and they add up. And I will tell you, these are moments that we never forget. That first time putting on underwear that is in the boys' section or pants from the boys' section. Or that haircut. Yeah. Or the, I mean, the first dress is often a huge, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Or even the last time we wore something that was uncomfortable, the last dress, mm-hmm. the last high heels, the last makeup. I have so many kids who are like headed into top surgery right now, or they're like, and they're so excited for like tank tops. Yeah. Right. Like you don't even think about it. Right. Like, but. Mm tank tops even with a binder on they don't wear a tank top because people can see the binder Mm -hmm. right Right. so they're like that's still a giveaway Mm -hmm. um but they're like i'm gonna be able to just wear a tank top and it's (laughs) gonna be amazing this is gonna be the greatest summer of my life yeah and i'm like yeah it is it really is right all right parents i'm gonna get real with you your teenagers get horny Mm -hmm. and masturbating if you have bottom dysphoria Mm. uh, is rough and healthy Mm -hmm. Uh, and so helping kids with products that you can you can buy them online that come in discrete packaging you can buy them at sex shops but there are products that they can you can purchase for them that will help them masturbate in a way that feels affirming Mm -hmm. and that is a strange gift that you can give your child (laughs) right it's gonna be awkward you might not talk about it but just getting them that thing especially for kids going on testosterone yeah man it's just so important for regulating your body and helping with that anxiety Mm -hmm. yeah i remember i was talking to a kid one time um and he was like like he'd been on testosterone for like a year and he was like, okay, I know you told me that I would probably end up really horny and I didn't believe you, but it turns out I'm really horny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And yeah. he was like, and like master, like, it's just not working. I don't know what to do. And I was like, okay, All right. you need to talk to your dad. <laughs> and he was, I can't, no. I can't talk to my dad. I can't talk to my dad about this. And I went, your dad is going to get this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I wouldn't encourage necessarily every kid to talk to their dad, but like I knew yeah. this kid and I knew this, this dad. And I said, your dad, your dad's going to be like, okay, I get it. <laughs> um, and so he did. And his, like he was, he didn't even blink. And I was like, yeah, your dad will understand. <laughs> <laughs> and the next time I saw that family, the mom was like, so, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's just it's- it's part of health. We got to talk health about Health stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah. There's still so much more. Yeah. But um, I really uh, wanted for folks to just have an understanding that like of what dysphoria can feel like. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, there's another type of dysphoria that I like to like talk about. Mm. Um, and that is the, something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, mm-hmm. which is dysphoria. And I feel like this is something that moms can help or moms can understand maybe a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Or moms who've gone through like hormonal changes Mm -hmm. um know what it's like to feel not right um in some way or another in your body like like something is not computing Mm -hmm. um and if you've ever experienced premenstrual dysphoric disorder 
which is like a super intense emotional side of PMS. Super easy to treat. Um, but we just don't talk about it a lot because people think like, oh yeah, it's normal to go crazy when you get your period. Um, it's not. So if you are a person who like feels right. like you legit go crazy, mm-hmm. um, in the week or two leading up or days just leading up to your period, mm-hmm. um, or your menstrual cycle, um, that is not something that everyone experiences. Like if you are ugly crying about the fact that your kids didn't put the shoes away, or that nobody can seem to do what you asked them to do, or you've spilled something and like, and, but you have that moment, even in these times when you're like super emotional, where there's a part of your brain that goes, you're being crazy. <laughs> <laughs> feels like an overreaction. Uh-huh. And the other part of your brain that's emotional is like, shut up, I don't care. <laughs> I know, but I can't stop it. And your brain's like, but really, like people are going to, this is concerning. <laughs> like it's like this mm-hmm. internal war. Um, and that's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And, and, and that's dysphoria, right? That's a dysphoria feeling. Mm-hmm. And so it's a similar that like when we talk about that mental anguish, right? This like, am I, am I making this up? Am I like going to, uh, I, I feel this way, but then there's a part of my brain that's like, oh, but do you? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where having, a good therapist can really be helpful for kids, but, um, to help with that mental dysphoria that, that right. does come up. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they're Definitely. like non-binary, uh, being a person who like lives in the middle zone is weirdly difficult. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is no middle bathroom. No, there's no middle bathroom. There's no like middle pronoun there's no middle path, right? There's no middle example. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think one thing I was thinking about before talking today of how to help other people understand it. And, and I think there is a part that we can't explain with words and that we just need to be believed. Mm -hmm. We don't need to find the perfect word to describe it, but just believe us when we say it i think it's one of the best things that we could sort of wrap up with right like you don't have to experience this you don't Mm -hmm. have to understand this Mm -hmm. in order to believe someone yeah right like that shouldn't be a requirement your kid needs you to see their pain and their discomfort and their wishes and their desires and their preferences yeah that's one of the best things you can do for your kid yeah just believe them yeah kids need a lot of help and support in a lot of different ways but knowing who they are in terms of gender is not typically one of them Mm -hmm. that's something that they can figure out pretty well on their own yeah yeah. And then they just need you to believe them. Mm-hmm. All right. KK, any final thoughts? Mm, when thinking about your kiddo and what to remember um, as you're having this conversation and trying to understand who they are, um, I'm going to steal Dwayne Wade's line quote from lately is to think about the moment where you held them for the first time and how much love you had and see if that can help bridge the gap in understanding them 
and wanting to see who they truly are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Whew, that was a lot. It's my deepest hope that this conversation helps you understand how dysphoria is showing up in your child's life and how truly distressing it can be. That's my hope that you'll be able to recognize it better and show up for it better. It can feel like a lot when we're learning about the emotional distress your child has been in. Try to be generous with yourself. I'm so grateful for you and how you keep showing up here for your kids. It means the world to me and I'm loving getting to support all of you. Thanks again to Karen for sharing their time and their big queer heart. They're on staff here at camp, so we'll be hearing from them again down the road. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure anyone who needs one knows there's a spot for them at Camp Wildheart. Heart.